Hi, this is uh, Driving Theology, a new edition, not really, same edition. Um, yeah, I hope everybody's doing okay out there in the world. Uh, I don't know how accurate SoundCloud is, but uh, I seem to be having people listening, or at least clicking for a moment. Uh, on uh, my podcast from very far away. I've seen the Netherlands and other places in Europe as well as, uh, I want to say, Africa even. Uh, some places in the States, uh, other places close, close, you know, close by in Asia, maybe Australia. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't know how accurate that stuff is, but thank you uh, if you've been listening. I, I hope that... Um, as uh, inadequate as I am, I hope that there's something you can learn from it. Uh, and wow, I'd love to hear from you guys. You can uh, go to uh, Driving Theology on Facebook and, and leave a message if you'd like. Uh, or email me at mcclainster at gmail.com. That's M-C-L-A-I-N-S-T-E-R at gmail.com. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. And again, if there's anything you'd like for me to cover, like for me to talk about, just to just to see if uh, you know whatever you're thinking on something is uh, uh, you know whether I think the same way as you or or uh, you know just to get another uh, another perspective on different subjects. You know, we all have things that are affecting us in the world, and most of the most of us are being affected, uh, being affected by things that are slightly different. And in the church, a lot of times, whatever we we are struggling with or battling is, uh, you know, something that's completely different than other people around the world. And yet, there's other times where uh, perhaps the root cause of these symptoms it could be the same. So, talking through them uh, together, or uh, even in this kind of forum through email and monologue, you know, hopefully we can ascertain the uh, the will of the Lord in different situations uh, for each other, or at least to be a part of that puzzle, and so I would love to see the body of Christ uh, really take seriously uh, what people have to say uh, in individual congregations, people's opinions, um, because Nowhere does does it say, I don't think, in the New Testament or in the Bible, that only a worthy person can speak for God. I, I, I think it's just the opposite. I think God speaks through different people in different ways at different times for different reasons, but it's still the voice of God speaking. He may speak through someone who is somewhat closer to Him, but he also may speak to someone who's completely far from him. And uh, in fact, we know that he's even spoken through a donkey. So, you know, we if, if our churches are so big that we don't regularly hear from every, every uh, believer, uh, then maybe we should be dividing into smaller groups or, or uh, you know, taking some other steps to be sure that we uh, listen to people. 
that that's that's a priority that that's a that's something that we value because when a Christian talks okay when a Christian talks he's not talking just of himself when a disciple of Jesus speaks he speaks for Jesus now I don't mean that any one person is entrusted with the will of God for a lot of other people. I think those times have come and gone. And I think, you know, one of the things that Jesus did uh, and does uh, was to was to really broaden that in his body. It doesn't mean that certain people are not prophetic and they may have something to say, but I think more often than not, a church will find uh, direction from the Holy Spirit through listening to a variety of the people in the church, not through one. And I think if you're if you're a congregation who is cons- content, uh, consistently following uh, what you believe is the will of God that consistently comes from just one person, man, I, I, I think you need to you need to reevaluate how the Holy Spirit speaks to his people and what it means to be uh, the whole body of Christ. You know, what makes us the body of Christ is not what we do, but what Jesus has done and his, his calling on our life, uh, on all of our lives, to be the collective body. We are collectively the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't deny that you... that, that you know, I don't, I'm not saying that it's impossible to be a temple for the Holy Spirit individually. I think there's a sense in where that happens. But I think if you are trying to speak into the life of somebody else, you need to be prepared to allow that somebody else to speak into your life as well. Because it's the Holy Spirit who has the authority uh, through the power and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not us. We are we are all just earthen vessels to be used uh, as our Lord sees fit. Um, what, I, what I see across churches, more often than not, is people who have been, uh, who, are, who are called ordained or qualified, uh, people with degrees and and experience uh, and titles, uh, those people are worthy to speak for God, and lay people are not. And I, I don't. That that's that's not Jesus, you know. Uh, that's not the Jesus I see in the Bible. Now you may say, well, look what happened in the epistles. They started organizing, and even in Acts, you see that uh, the widows and orphans were quickly. Uh, were, were being the, the widows were being um, the widows of the Gentiles were being neglected, and they came up with a structure uh, to be overseen by what they decided to call deacons, which is just the Greek word for servants, to oversee that that um, what the apostles called waiting on tables. Uh, yeah, they organized and did that, and, and after that point. There's some other organization that came in uh, with elders and and different things, and things seem to be seem to have taken on structure. 
pretty quickly, even within the New Testament uh, time period, not just after, but even in the New, New Testament time period, you have churches meeting on the same day of the week, apparently, uh, where it doesn't really say all of them did, but it says some of them did. And, yeah, and so now we have that structure today that's kind of st stuck around, stuck with us. But you don't see that structure pre-deacons. You don't see that structure with Jesus. You don't see him giving titles to anybody in his 12 apostles. You don't see, you don't even see him taking on a title, really, that he gave himself. You know, he, he, he came to serve, to be the servant of all, right? He came to serve, not to be served. So, yeah, um, so what happened with the elders when they said, you know, choose for yourself, uh, choose from amongst yourself seven men who are, who are full of the Spirit uh, to oversee the, the distribution of distribution of food and they said the reason they gave was they're not supposed to wait on tables in other words they're too good to serve they need to be devoting all of their time to prayer and the word they're too good to serve that that's how it comes out to me and that's you know if you if you take it that way you have to realize at that point they're not they're not obeying Jesus because Jesus said he came to serve. And then he said, a, you know, a followers, a follower is no greater than his master. If he serves, they're supposed to serve. So that decision at that point, which created more structure, we usually take as a good thing. It's what was supposed to happen. That was the will of God. Now, I'm not saying that, that God's will hasn't worked through that, but for them to say, that they're not going to serve, you know, because they're they're supposed to do a different job. What that means is at that point they were not following Jesus. And what happens there? So what happens is the deacons now, uh, Stephen uh, specifically, and Philip, they now become kind of the uh, the head of the. Uh, uh, they, they become full of the Spirit and start teaching for God because they're the ones who are serving. They're the ones who are doing the job of Jesus at that point, not the apostles. There seems to be a, a shift that happened there. Now, yes, you have to read through the lines. But again, and I always keep coming back on this, go back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. There's a lot written about him. Four different perspectives uh, tell us about his everyday life and about the way he served, the way he washed feet, the way he he waited on tables and fed people, uh, which which is a step up compared to washing feet, you know, and washing the feet of of uh, you know his own disciples. So, you know, if you really get down and dirty with Jesus and figure out exactly nuts and bolts of how he lived, not just what he did, but how he did it, uh, I think you'll find some instances that come up in the Gospels where his so-called disciples fail. They fail at following Jesus. And you really have to look closely. 
to see that not everything written in the New Testament, even though it's not called um, necessarily bad or wrong, not everything that the apostles did in the New Testament uh, was golden. You know, they, they, they laid some eggs. And I, I, I have to say, I now believe that they laid some eggs when they appointed the deacons. Now, they, they went on with that and they held on with the, the idea of deacons. And, and here again, deacons were not bad um, in and of themselves. structure that now comes into place. Now we have deacons, now we have elders, uh, we have evangelists, we have missionaries. Uh, pretty soon we're having cardinals and bishops, uh, and today it's going into pastors. Uh, you know, it's, structure's gone crazy. And that structure tends to usurp the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Say that again. That structure, the over, overbuilding of authoritative figures who are not the Godhead, who are not the head of the church, Jesus. All of that authority tends to, doesn't always, doesn't have to, but tends to usurp the authority of Jesus because we. We don't know how to listen to the voice of Jesus anymore. That 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 has been changed from listening to the voice of Jesus or listening to the Holy Spirit within you uh, has been substituted with read your Bible and obey your elders. That's what we have now. Read your Bible and obey your elders. So the living word of Jesus uh, has been substituted with the written word of paper and glue and ink. Um, there's nothing wrong with the written word. The written word is important. The written word helps us understand um, who Jesus is, and by understanding Jesus, we understand God. Okay, it gives us a lot to learn from and to garner from. We need to get back to we need to get back to Jesus. We don't need to get back to the Bible. Several groups have tried that and it hasn't really worked. You know, from the uh, uh, restoration churches of the late 19th or mid 19th century to the Reformation uh, with Luther and Calvin. to get back to the Bible and that happened but soon enough uh, traditions of how certain groups got back to the Bible become canon canonized in other words liturgical you have to do this you have to do that because that's what we do and that's what that guys that's what those guys figured out needed to happen and we should do it just because they figured it out we should assume that that works for us as well as opposed to saying well, what did Jesus do and how did he do it and not what would Jesus do in our situation, but what did Jesus do? Who is Jesus? 
How do we use the Gospels to find out who Jesus is and use the Gospels as a lens to view the entire rest of the Bible, including the Epistles, Revelation, uh, as well as Old Testament, uh, Law, Prophets, Wisdom, History. You know, how do we do that? Poetry. Jesus is the key. Um, Jesus is the key, and I'm still, you know, even though I believe that, and I, I feel like that's a big deal, just understanding that that's the truth, that that's what needs to happen, that if we're doing things that don't look like Jesus, it's not because we're not following the Bible, it's because we're not, we don't know who Jesus is. We, we're not hearing his voice, not listening for his voice. Uh, and obviously, if we can't do those things, we can't obey his voice. Now, the great thing about the Bible is it, is it gives us a standard by which to measure the voices that we do hear. Not all voices we hear are necessarily the voice of Jesus. It is indeed possible for us to hear voices that are uh, demonic uh, or satanic, um, or at the very least sinful. You know, we can hear all kinds of voices. We need to learn to discern the voice of Jesus. Jesus, and I think what hurt, what helps with that is number one, learn knowing Jesus, who Jesus was in the Gospels, learning how he spoke, what he spoke about, what he cared about, who he cared about, how he did what he did, how did he go about accomplishing the tasks that were set before him, how did he talk to the Father, what did he talk about. something that Jesus didn't do a lot of, that we tend to do a lot of, in fact it dominates our religious experiences, uh, and yeah, I don't want to offend anybody with this, but Jesus didn't necessarily do a lot of what we would call worship. We don't see Jesus oftentimes, no, we do have you know, places where he sings a hymn. We don't know what the hymn was. You know, we don't know the hymns that he sang. We can assume that he sang from the Psalms. But we don't get the idea that Jesus was spending the lion's share of his time in what we would call worship services. Okay, so if Jesus wasn't spending his time doing what we call worship, can we say that Jesus didn't spend his time worshiping? Is that even possible? I think no. I think if you look at Jesus, if you look at the things he did, the constant service and compassion uh, by which he lived his life, the constant love, the constant uh, teaching of his disciples, the, 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 the careful... Uh, Attention that he gave to all those in need. Uh, I think you'll see that that was his worship, and that's where I think I think that's what James is saying. You know, we tend to think that worship activities, religious activities, are worship, worship services, and that is corporate singing, corporate prayer, corporate Bible reading, and the 
scripture by a profession. We tend to think that that's, that's how, you know, that that's what religion is. But James said, no, that true religion, true religion is taking care of the widows and orphans. Or, in other words, taking care of those in need. That's true religion. And that's what Jesus did. That's how he, that's how he worshipped. That's how he did his religion. If you want to call it religious life. I don't think we can anymore because I think the term religion, just like the term Christianity, it has been hijacked and marred to the point where it no longer has any meaning. I don't think that's possible to do with Jesus. I don't think you can, I don't think it's possible to, to misuse his name to where he's no longer, his name is no longer uh, useful. I think the name of Jesus is, is the most powerful name uh, ever. Right? The name of Jesus has power in itself. But Christianity is just a description, right? A descriptive word that non-believers came up with to uh, to d describe the followers of Jesus. They're, they're the, the the Christ, the Christy, the, the Christ followers, the, the Christians, right? Uh, and then the other word, religion, it, it has such a, a huge connotation that doesn't even have to do with the true uh, true worship of, of Yahweh, God, or Yeshua, Jesus, his son. Uh, I, don't, I don't even like to use the word religion anymore for what it means to follow Jesus. I just like to say follow Jesus. It's not a religion, it's following Jesus. It's doing what he did, how he did it to whom he did it, for why he did it. Um, that's following Jesus. So, yeah, I kind of got, got off on a little tangent there, and it's going to be hard for me to find my way back with nobody here to remind me where I was. It's going to be embarrassing. Uh, so, yeah, we really need to value the voice of Jesus and understand that he he speaks through all of his children he speaks through all of his children if they're his followers he speaks through them and even if they're not his followers we should we should at least uh, listen listen cautiously to all those around us because I believe the word of the Word of God can come through all kinds of interesting things. And I think more often than not, God uses many sources to carry His voice that conspire together to create a single idea or a single request or a single command uh, or a single truth, a single prophecy. Uh, and I've described it before as a puzzle. Uh, one thing I, I've been wanting to do that I haven't done yet. Um, I kind of made up a story that illustrates illustrates how important everyone is in a gathering. Uh, and that, that story is, uh, I'll just tell it, see how it comes out. So uh, there was this uh, group of believers and the mail in their own homes they all received a package one day and I have to remember this how I wrote the first time 
wrong up there, but anyway, I think you get the idea. So they all receive a package, and inside the package is a single puzzle piece. It's a single puzzle piece. And on the back is a somewhat in, indiscernible uh, partial uh, piece uh, of a photograph. One side seems to be kind of a painting. The other side seems to be part of a photograph. So the one side's part of the painting, okay, one, one puzzle piece of the painting. The other side is a photograph. Uh, again, a small piece of a, a larger photograph. Uh, and so they all get these and there's some instructions. The instructions say, uh, take this to the city center park at 12 o'clock noon on Saturday. And that's all. Very, very cryptic. Okay? Uh, and so, they all, they all get the message. So they all do it. They all, uh, on Saturday, they show up. And nobody knows really what's going on. They know that they have their puzzle piece, that somebody has sent them some information, but out of context, out of the context of the rest of the puzzle, they're really not sure what it means. Now, what, what they realize is that all the people that are called there are the people in their gathering, and everybody has a separate piece. And so what they decide to do is uh, start putting them together. Uh, and so, yeah, they start assembling the puzzle. And they start assembling the, the puzzle uh, with the painted picture first. Okay, so that they start assembling the uh, painting. And they start putting it together as more people come, more people add to that picture, and there's pieces missing. And uh, but nevertheless, the, the puzzle starts to take shape. And as people show up, it you know some are early, some are on time, some are a bit late, which is all okay. They finally, they finally finish the puzzle. Well, one person shows up even later, but every. Every, every piece of the puzzle is, has been put together. They can see that the puzzle uh, is a it's, a... it's a picture of a famous painting of Jesus, a likeness of what Jesus may have looked like. And so everybody put together the puzzle. Nobody had the full truth themselves, but they had the partial truth to put together. And each one had to have... had to be present and had to actually physically place their piece of puzzle down to put it together. They had to be brave enough to share the puzzle. Now remember, nobody received the puzzle piece because of anything they did. They simply received it because they were part of that church. Uh, they didn't make the puzzle piece. Um, they don't have to know anything special. They just all had to work together to, to assemble this puzzle, uh, which they did. Uh, so once the puzzle was assembled, the, the another person showed up a little bit later than everybody else and he had a kind of a look what looked like a puzzle piece but it actually wasn't a puzzle piece it, it was just a piece of cardboard with a a message on it 
And what it, what the message said was, uh, turn over the puzzle. You're like, turn over the puzzle? Really? Turn the, oh, that's right. There was, that's right. So they all remembered there was something on the other side of the puzzle. And so they looked around, and, and next to the picnic table, there, there was a piece of uh, glass that was had been prepared. Somebody had put it there just so they could do this, right? And so they, they took the piece of glass, they put it on top of the puzzle, and uh, found found another piece of cardboard or some kind of flat something to, to slide it under the puzzle. Uh, or actually, the glass would have gone on top, yeah. They, Last one on top, and then they slid. Oh no, the opposite. They they slid the, the thin piece of uh, plastic between the table and the puzzle, and then found something else uh, to to put on the outside of the puzzle, and then flipped it, almost like you're flipping a pancake in a griddle. And what they realized was the other side was a photograph of themselves. That that. It was a picture, a group picture that they had taken sometime in the past uh, with all the members represented on the other side. And so by turning over that puzzle, they, they had found that on one side of the puzzle was the likeness of Jesus. And the other side of the puzzle, pu puzzle was their corporate likeness. Everybody together, a group photo of themselves. Now... What does this illustrate? First of all, it illustrates that we need to realize that we have a responsibility and a privilege, right? We have a responsibility and a privilege to share with each other what it is that we have on our hearts and on our minds because by definition, that is supposed to be from Jesus from our Lord from the head right he's the head we're the body okay so he he speaks to us but if somebody decides not to show up or if somebody decides well their puzzle piece isn't good enough or it's not significant well the the entire um, message could be lost it would be incomplete we would only have a an incomplete idea of what it is Jesus is doing in us. So let's say instead of uh, you know half the puzzle being the likeness of Jesus, what if it's what if it's something that that he wants that congregation to do for the kingdom, something specific. You know, we what we do is we we put our hearts together and our minds and pray that the Lord lead us and we we each one as uh, as as the Lord leads us contribute to that puzzle and together we decide you know what what it is the Lord would have us do um, instead of instead what usually happens is the professionals and leaders of a congregation decide for themselves what it is the Lord wants to cop the, the uh, church to do with no regard to other individuals who are not ordained or who are not quote-unquote biblical leadership and we regard their opinions as less important and nowhere do I find in scripture that this is okay I don't 
anywhere in the New Testament where, you know, one man who is a believer should have more weight or more say or more authority than anyone else. And when I say authority, what I mean is the, the freedom to share. The freedom to share. Uh, freedom to share what's on your heart, what God's doing in your life, uh, your, your, your hopes, your dreams, your, your fears, your doubts, because, you know, Jesus can speak through all of that for the benefit of all of us. Um, I hope that was somewhat coherent. Um, I, uh, you know, it's something that I really believe, but it's, it's, it's easy. I think it's easy enough to understand, even if you don't believe it, I think you can understand it, but it's still pretty difficult to implement. Implementing this kind of system is difficult. Getting people away from their their false humility, where they think, "Oh, I'm so I'm so weak and, and sinful. Surely the Lord cannot speak through me." Well, the Lord does speak through you, but not because you're worthy. The Lord will speak through you because you belong to Him, and because He He is the head of the body that we corporately constitute. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, did Jesus have authority with his disciples? He certainly did. Did he exercise it often? He certainly did not. The way Jesus exercised his authority was by pleading, teaching, uh, influencing, right? Uh, trying to influence his followers to do what he asks as opposed to force them or command them. In fact, his command, the command that supersedes all other commands, when he said, a new commandment I give you is to love one another. That's it. That's the new commandment. The way you want to love me, you want to love God, this is how you do it. You love one another. Jesus says, if you want to love me, you love one another. You love those who I love. That's how you love me. That doesn't seem like authority to me. That's not the, that's not, certainly not Gentile authority. And if any of the authority in the church looks more heavy-handed than that, then it's not Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority was serving. It was to lay down his life. And our pastors and elders and preachers and deacons, everybody, that's the kind of authority we're supposed to be exercising, is being the least, being last, being the last to eat, being the last to speak, uh, being the last to receive, being last. how we exercise Jesus' authority. Easy to say, 
cut it off right there and uh, just pray that we all uh, we all exercise um, deferring to the least people uh, in our gatherings no matter what uh, where they are in faith no matter um, how qualified or whatever they are, but realize that, that Jesus, because he's Jesus, and for his own purposes, can speak through all of us. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, and I'm grateful for that, because I'm the least, you know, I'm the least worthy to speak for Jesus, and yet, uh, I belong to him, and so he says, yeah, uh, says, yeah, I can, I, can, I can work with you. I can speak through you. I can help other people through you. Not because of you, but because of me. Jesus says. Uh, so I, I pray two things. If you're somebody who speaks a lot in the gatherings, take a back seat once in a while. If you're someone who is always in the back seat, humbly uh, let yourself be heard. You know, tastefully, uh, but humbly. Uh, and I know that we will all be enriched because of that. Thanks. Mike out.